You know, the Bible teaches us a really simple lesson. It says, the foolish person builds their house on the sand. And when life hits, when the waves and the wind of life hits, it falls. But the wise person builds their house on the rock. Because when life hits and the winds and the waves blow, that house remains. And so the truth for every one of us is life will hit. But where are you building your house? Maybe a better question. Who are you building your house on? Let's pray together. God, may our house be on the rock. That's where we find hope and peace. And his name is Jesus. So today, although life comes, may we be prepared. What can stand against us when we are built in who you are? Help us to get there in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll go ahead and grab a seat. Let me be one of many to say welcome to Northridge Church. It is so good to be with each and every one of you, no matter where you're joining us from, whether that's one of our physical locations or our stream. We just want to say welcome home to each and every one of you. And you know what? I thought this morning before we get rolling, we'd have a little bit of fun. Did you know you can have fun in church? It's okay. Y'all ready? Okay. All right. I'm going to ask Webster because Rochester isn't ready. Webster, you guys ready? Rochester, are you guys ready? Okay, all right, all right. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to lead a little audience participation, okay? So, um, you know, whether you're online, you put that hand in the chat. Webster or Rochester, you're going to raise your hand. So I'm going to show you three pictures, and here's what we're going to see. I'm going to get to know our church a little bit better. I'm going to see how how much of risk takers, thrill seekers we got in, in the house. So let me show you a picture right now. This is... The Goliath, okay? You've probably never rode, ridden, I don't know what it is, rode this ride. English is not my strong point. Anyway, um, this is called Goliath. It's in Atlanta, Georgia, Six Flags. It's called Goliath. And the reason why it's called Goliath, the picture doesn't give it justice, but you get on this car and you slowly just climb this hill. And by the time you get to this hill, you can see all of Atlanta and the entire world. It's that high. And then all of a sudden, you drop. And you drop. And you're like, why isn't this drop over? It's when your stomach meets your mouth. You're going seven zillion miles an hour. My question is for our church, how many of you are riding that ride? Come on, put your hands in the air. Okay, let's go. Okay. I see you. Okay, so okay, let's, let's take it up a notch, okay? Let me show you a different picture. Hmm. See, this is what 10,000 feet in the air looks like. This is the moment before you put your life on the line and pray to God that your parachute works. This is what we call skydiving. And as you look at that picture, let me ask you this, church. How many of you are making that jump? Wow, our numbers seem to drop a little bit. Okay, okay. Let's switch gears a little bit, okay? Let's, let's have an ode to Halloween coming up. Let me show you a haunted house in Denver, Colorado. Okay, let's say me and you are hanging out. It's midnight. I give you a flashlight. How many of you are walking into that house all by yourself? Come on. That might be the lowest one. That might be the lowest one. And here's what happened, here's what I did, right? 
I learned a couple things about our church just in that small exercise. I learned that we're a little crazier than I thought we were. Okay, so there's a little bit of crazy in a lot of you, but there's also a little bit of faith in a lot of you. Because you might not tie these things to faith, but here's the reality. It takes a little bit of faith to, in the engineers and the people who build that roller coaster to get you from point A to point B alive, right? That, that, that harness is going to stay locked in. It takes a little bit of faith that that parachute or the other one, or I don't know how many they put in there, that when you pull that cord, you're, you're going to stop falling. And it takes a little bit of faith to walk into that house and just pray to God that it doesn't fall on you. And so you think about those two words. A little bit of crazy, a little bit of faith. Shouldn't they be true about God's people? Because we want to be a church that has crazy faith. Crazy faith, a faith that says yes, no matter what God asks of us. See, if you haven't been with us, we, we started a series that we've just been kind of walking through, casting a little vision of the church that we want to be. And the one thing that we have to remember as we've walked through this series, we're halfway, is if we want to be that church, we got to be that person. Because the church, we, we get it so confused, right? The church is not buildings. It's not programs. It's you and me. We are the church. And if we're going to be that church, we got to become those people. And so we're going to talk about a church today that has crazy faith. If you got your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 11 is where we're going to be. Hebrews chapter 11, jump there in your Bibles, your devices, jump into the Northridge Church app. And let me kind of catch you up in the first four weeks. If you've been with us this whole journey, kudos to you. We already talked week one, we talked about a church that is family. Week two, we talked about a church that is unified, that fights for unity. Two weeks ago, we talked about a church that pursues people far from God, loves people far from God into a relationship with Jesus Christ. And then last week, we talked about becoming better disciples in a church that is a work in progress, that we are becoming sanctified, that we are looking more like Jesus. And today, we're going to talk about faith. And if you know anything about the chapter, of, uh, chapter 11 of Hebrews, it's known as the Hall of Faith. You know, in sports, we have like the Hall of Fames. Well, this is the Hall of Faith where people are commended for their faith. It's also known as the faith chapter. If you ever want to know what faith is, go to Hebrews chapter 11. Let me start in verse 1 where the author gives us a glimpse, some imagery into faith. He says this, now, faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, so that what is seen was not made out of what was visible. So the author starts in Hebrews chapter 11 by giving us some imagery, a clear definition of what faith is, and he uses two things. Faith is two things. The first thing he says is faith is confidence. Faith is confidence in what we hope for. And if you know anything about confidence, it can be a game changer. People who have confidence are usually different than people who are insecure, who lack confidence. Because confidence can breed something and grow something in you than when you don't have confidence. And it's interesting that the imagery of faith is this confidence in God, who he is, what he's capable of, that God will provide no matter what circumstance I face. Now let's think about confidence. Let me give you an example of how confidence can, can change the game. 
Right, this summer, my daughter, uh, we were up at my mom's house, and in, our, in my mom's barn, we have this little John Deere gator. And if you don't know what a gator is, this has got two seats and then kind of like a flatbed. The kids love it. They're always asking, Daddy, Daddy, can we go a ride? Can we go on a ride for the gator? And so I often find myself driving like 12 kids around in this tiny gator, hoping no one falls off. But Joelle's getting old enough where she's looking at this gator, she's looking how it works, and she's like, Yo, Dad. Do you think you could teach me how to drive? And so I'm like, okay, you're, you're probably old enough. And so just me and her, there's two seats. I'm sitting next to her, and she's looking at the steering wheel, the gas pedal, and the brake. And all of a sudden, she's like, Broom! I'm like, good night. I literally had to go see a chiropractor after the, the journey. And so she realizes, okay, uh, she's nervous. You can see her hands are shaking. She doesn't know what to do. And so she like, slowly pushes the gas, and we're like, Broom. I'm like, Joel, we're going like .001 miles an hour. Like, you can hit it a little harder than that. And so she, she finally kind of gets the, 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 the gig of it, and like she's slowly driving, steering, trying to figure out how to hit the brake, hit the gas, turn, you know, all these things. And here's what I learned. Like, over the course of time of, of doing it once and then twice and, and three times, guess what? It began to build in my daughter. Confidence. Confidence that she was able, that she was capable, that she could do it. And the more confidence that she had, the better she got. And isn't that true about faith? That's what the author of Hebrews, the Bible says faith is. He says, it's a confidence in my God that he is capable, that he is able. That no matter what situation I face, no matter where I am in that life, I have confidence in who he is and that he can come through. But secondly, the, the, the author wasn't done. He says, you know, it, it's confidence, but it's also assurance about what we do not see. Right? It's this level of assurance, even though it doesn't make sense, even though it's unknown. And he uses the example of creation. He, write, he says, you can see creation, and out of its majesty, out of its beauty, you realize, you have this assurance that it wasn't created by something physical, but something that you cannot see. And assurance, this word assurance, we don't use it a lot anymore. But what does assurance look like? Let me give you an example, right? There's an assurance in my household, not insurance, assurance in my kids uh, during the months of April, May, and September. You see, those are my kids' birthday months, right? Malachi was born in April, Ruby Kate in May, and Joel was born in September, and, and when that time rolls around during their month of their birthday, they, have, they are assured of one thing, that when their birthday comes, they're going to get gifts. They never doubt it. They never question it. They know that gifts will be coming. Here's what they don't know, what those gifts will be. And that's what faith is. The author says it's confidence in who God is. And it's assurance that even though I can't see it always, even though I can't feel it, God is working. He has what's best in mind for me. And so faith is these two things. But look what he says next. It says, and without faith, without that confidence and without that assurance, it is impossible to please God. Now let's pause here for a second. Because as a Christ follower, right, as a Christian, Shouldn't that be the goal of my life? Shouldn't that be how my life is postured? That like in everything that I do, whether it's eating or drinking or whether it's going to work, like my goal in life should be to please God and that the Bible says without faith, I have no shot at pleasing God. That's how important faith is in our journey. 
in our sanctification. He says, and without faith, it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. And so faith is is an important piece of our spiritual journey. Having confidence and assurance is an important piece. We need to be a church that has crazy faith. And if you read the Bible, here's what you'll notice about the Bible is it's this collection of people, men and women, children and teenagers who had faith. And their faith in God took them places they never dreamed of. And that's what Hebrews 11 is. It's this list of heroes of the faith, right? You have people like Abel, who offered a better sacrifice in faith to God. Enoch, who pleased God by his faith. You have Noah, who built an ark when he never saw rain in faith. You have Abraham, who went to a land he didn't know he was going to in faith. You have Sarah, who gave birth to a child at 90 years old in faith. You wanna talk about a geriatric pregnancy, that's it. (laughs) Come on, girl, you know? But all these people, they lived with this confidence and this assurance. In fact, look how Hebrews 11 talks about these heroes of the faith. It says this, and these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. If they had been thinking of a country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. And so as we look at Hebrews chapter 11, and we talk about this idea of of us, the people of God having crazy faith, I believe Hebrews 11 directly and indirectly teaches two things that we need in our lives to have crazy faith. It's not a complex equation, just two things. And the first thing we see in the description of these people who had crazy faith, the author says, if you want to have crazy faith, the first thing you need is a heavenly perspective. That you need to keep your eyes off of what's in front of you and get your eyes on what's in store for you. Look Look what the text says, verse 13. It says this, they did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance admitting that they were foreigners and strangers on earth. Something that we have to be constantly reminded of as Christians is this is not our home. We are foreigners, aliens, strangers here on earth. And that's how these people of faith lived. They had this recognition that nothing here on earth could truly, ultimately satisfy my soul and and my longings. And here's what's happened in Christianity today, is we have gotten way too comfortable here on earth. In fact, over the last couple years, I've seen Christians fighting more for their American citizenship than their citizenship in heaven. And we have to be reminded, yes, I get it, we are Americans, I understand it, but really we're not. We are citizens of God's kingdom above any other kingdom. And we have to be reminded of that. These people, when they, when they lived on earth, they stayed at a distance. They lived in, in a moment, but not just for the moment, because their eyes, were not what, on, their eyes were not on what's in front of them, but what God had in store for them. And look what the result of it. It says, therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God. Why? Because he is preparing a city for them. Can I tell you today, good news, best news, If you know Christ is your personal savior, God is preparing something that will fully satisfy you later in your life. 
And let me give you a glimpse into what we should be longing for. The Apostle Paul says this about what God's preparing for us. He says, however, as it is written, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. You see, what Paul tells us is, you know the things that we want and desire here on earth, they don't compare to what God's getting ready to show us in our eternity. That your mind can't even begin to fathom the city that God is preparing for him. And so why is it so easy for us to get trapped in in what's in front of us rather than what God has in store for us? How do we get our lives to be heavenly minded? What does that even look like? Right, because isn't that the cliche answer? Like, oh, I want crazy faith. Well, just keep your eyes on Jesus. Oh, thanks for that. I appreciate it. But what does that look like in everyday life? Is there examples of that? Well, Hebrews 11 has one. His name was Moses. Look what it says about Moses. It says, by faith, Moses' parents hid him for three months after he was born. Let's pause here for a second. I don't want you to miss this. We often talk about Moses' faith, but can I tell you, parents today, one of the major reasons why Moses had great faith is because he saw it in his mom and his dad. You want your kids to have crazy faith today? They got to see it in you first. By faith, Moses' parents led to Moses' faith. It says they, they, they had great faith. They hid him for three months before he was born because they saw he was no ordinary child. And they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, listen to this, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as a greater value than treasures of Egypt. How does someone live this way? Look what it says next. Because he was looking ahead to his reward. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king's anger. He persevered because he saw him who is invisible. See, Moses had great faith and it started with his parents' faith. And if you don't know Moses' story, let me just catch you up really quick. You can read about it in Exodus. But Moses was born into Egypt in this very tumultuous time. The Hebrew people were slaves to the Egyptian empire, but they were growing in mass numbers. And so Pharaoh was intimidated by their size. And so he declares this edict that every male uh, born two and under would be killed. It was a bloody massacre. And Moses was born into that edict. And so his mom, think about this, parents. In faith, Moses' parents were not afraid of the edict. Think about how crazy of faith that is. That, hey, you're watching all the babies die, and yet they stand in faith knowing God's going to come through. And they hide him, but for three months, he's a baby. They can hide him. He gets bigger and louder. And so Moses' mom puts him in a basket, puts him down a river. He's picked up by Pharaoh's daughter. He's adopted into Pharaoh's family. And and, and low-key, isn't that every parent's dream? Right, like, okay, my my son will be taken care of. He's not gonna die, and you know what? Better yet, he's not just just not gonna die. He's gonna have every luxury. He's gonna be comfortable here on earth. Right, isn't that what we want for our kids, that they would be comfortable here on earth? But man, parents, don't we have bigger dreams for our kids that maybe in faith, God might actually put them in danger for the sake of the gospel? But yet, do we dream that dream for our kids? that they would actually have big enough faith that would pull them from the luxuries and the comfort of earth for the sake of Jesus? 
And look what Moses, how he lived. He could have had every luxury any person could want, but he refused. He refused to be known as Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated with the people of God rather than enjoy the luxuries and the pleasure of sin. He regarded disgrace for Jesus as a greater value than any treasure Egypt had. How? He was looking ahead. He knew that nothing on this earth could ever please him like the reward God had for him. He had a heavenly perspective. See, that's what crazy faith, where it begins. And many of us don't have it because we're worried about being embarrassed. We're we're worried about being uncomfortable. Like, I want things now, not later. I can't wait on God. Some of us are just afraid of the unknown, suffering, pain, the earthly cost, the appearance of what it might look like. Right? Many of us, we don't have crazy faith because we're so busy looking at what's in front of us at the expense of what God has in store for us. And if we could just get a glimpse of what's waiting for us, we would take our eyes off of the earthly pleasures and we would get them on heavenly pleasures. And that's the first ingredient to crazy faith that Hebrews 11 talks about. You gotta have a heavenly perspective, but the second one might surprise you. Because we don't see it directly in the text, but I believe through the the people who lived out faith in their stories in Hebrews chapter 11, it gives us a window into this. You see, the second ingredient to crazy faith, you have to first start with just an everyday faith. A faith daily that says and lives in obedience to God. A faith that no matter what God asks of us, the answer is yes. See, there's something that's happened in not just Christianity, but in our culture today. Because I believe this to be true. Many of us, we want to be used in in miraculous ways for God. We want to do something big. We want to make a difference. Many of us, we, we want that glory We're just not willing to endure the grind to get there. Many of us, we we have the desire, but we just don't have the discipline. Many of us, we, we want the moment, but we're not willing to endure the mundane or the monotonous. So many of us, we, 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 we just have the right desire. We want the glory. We got used to be great for God, but we're not willing to do the hard things to actually be used by God. Can I ask you a question this morning? Why would God ever ask you for something big if he can't get something small from you? Think about that. Why in the world would God think, man, you know what, I'm gonna do the miraculous through this person when he can't get the normal out of you? We think that God somehow just randomly found people in the Old Testament who did miraculous things like, oh, you know, they haven't done anything for me before, but maybe they'll do this massive thing for me. You see, this problem goes, you forget religion for a second, forget like Christianity for a second. This is a problem we have just in society. Right? We want to be healthy, right? We have this desire, a good godly desire to be healthy, but most of us were not willing to let go of the things in our diet to be healthy or to go to the gym regularly to be healthy. Many of us, we, we want the career, the high-paying salary, right? We want that, but we're not willing to take the lower-tier jobs to work hard, to grind, to experience the glory. 
And the truth is, it's the same in Christianity. And here's what we don't see in the text. When we think about the, the people, the characters listed in, in Hebrews 11, right? The heroes of the faith, you think about like David. What do we often think about? Him killing a giant. We think about Mary. What do we think about? Her bringing the son of God, the savior of the world into the world. Right? We list these names like Deborah and Enoch and Esther and Moses and we often go to their highlight reel, the magical moment in their life and what we often miss is if you study their lives, they had an everyday track record of obeying God before he ever asked them of something great. Amen. Right? You can see their righteousness in shepherding, in the mundane, in the monotonous. You see in these people righteousness before God ever asked something large of them. And some of us, were not willing to have an everyday faith that will get us to crazy faith. And what does that even look like? What does it look like to have everyday faith? Well, I'm glad you asked. I'm gonna give you a laundry list of things. Right, what does everyday faith look like? Well, let me tell you. It's simple. Sometimes it's just staying pure until you get married. Sometimes it's fighting for your marriage even when your spouse has given up. Sometimes it's just admitting when you're wrong, owning your sin struggle. Everyday faith is serving people on your day off. It's giving 10% of your income back to God. It's knowing who you are in Christ even when you want to be something different. It's loving and caring for your neighbor's needs. It's sharing your faith when it's uncomfortable. It's having honesty and integrity at work. It's honoring your parents even when you hate their rules. It's putting people's desires before your own. Everyday faith is giving up media consumption so you can spend time in God's word and in prayer. It's getting a flip phone instead of a smartphone so you can overcome bad habits. It's living for your eternal future, not the here and now. It's not spending your money on the money you don't have on things that don't matter. It's teaching your children about God. Everyday faith is showing up to church and group regularly. It's confessing your sin to God and others. It's not judging people for what they look like. It's caring for those like the orphan and the widow. Everyday faith shows grace and mercy. It's loving people who are homosexual or trans transgender. It's trusting God in suffering and the loss of someone you love or dealing with disabilities. Everyday faith is saying no to work just to be with your family. It's all those things and more. It's a lifestyle that says, you know what, God? Yes, that's my answer. And until we get our eyes off of earthly things and on heavenly things, and until we have a track record of everyday faith, how, why would we ever believe that we're going to have everyday or crazy faith? And here's what happens, here's what happens, is when you get your eyes on heavenly things and when you have an everyday faith, here's where it leads your life, here's where it postures your life, is that you will obey Christ no matter what he asks. Can I tell you that's the goal of our lives? That's the goal of my life and it should be the goal of your life. That when God comes to me, when the Spirit of God asks me to do something, whether it's massive and gigantic or whether it's small and little, my answer is always yes. Yes, God, I'll go. Yes, God, I'll give that up. Yes, God, I'll surrender. Yes, God, whatever it is, my answer, my heart is yes. Do you realize that's what Jesus, how Jesus lived? He submitted to his dad's will. Even when it cost him everything, his answer was yes. And so as we think about being a church, 
crazy faith, it starts by being individuals who have crazy faith. So can I ask you just a simple question? As you think of your life, and I think of my life, what has God been asking of you in faith? You know the answer to that question. Because I would suggest that the Spirit of God has been whispering it in your ear and in your heart and in your mind over weeks, maybe months, even years. And you've heard it. He's reminded you of it. And maybe you've ignored it. Maybe you've overlooked it. Maybe you've just lived in disobedience to it. And maybe today God is reminding you that in faith, your answer should be yes. What is it? What is God asking of you in faith? Maybe it's as simple as giving up an ungodly relationship. To surrender your finances. To fight for your marriage. To help those in need. To spend time in his word. What is it? And my question is, in faith, will you do it? Will your answer be yes? How different would our church be? How different would your life be? How different would our city and our community be if the people of God had crazy, wild, everyday faith. Let's pray together. Lord, I believe your spirit is working right now. And I believe over campuses and homes, and seats, and couches, and car rides, that your spirit is speaking to hearts right now. And God, it's just a matter of whether we'll listen or not, that our faith would be big enough to answer yes. Yes, God, I'll do that. Yes, God, I'll surrender that. So God, I, I know you're speaking to people right now. I know you're making it clear what faith requires of them. And God, I pray that you give us the courage, the perseverance, the endurance, that no matter how big or how little the cost is, that in faith, we would say yes. Help us in Jesus' name.